0: Today's uh, passage is Second uh, Samuel 23, verses 1, 1 through 7, and the title of this sermon is called The Blessed Man. And I'll start off by, by reading from that chapter. It says, now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are like the thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of his spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So as I read this passage and you hear me read it or you read along with me, I want you to remember that we are basically from chapter twenty-one, Second Samuel chapter 21, through the end of uh, 2 Samuel, through the end of the whole book, uh, we, are, we are kind of going back in time. We're going backwards here. And this is a, uh, these these chapters are a chapters of reflection. Uh, today's passage is, is sometime after David became king, and we know that just because of the, uh, the, the the general makeup of the passage and what he's talking about. So we know that it's after he became king, but we don't know exactly when. There are historians, theologians who, who can kind of get the best time and narrow it down to to what they know from their study, but we, we don't know exactly when. There, there may be several different places where uh, this passage would fit in into the larger story of First and 2 Samuel. Now, that's not exactly what's important. Um, so when is not important, but rather it's, it's what, what David is saying here is what's important. Uh, what's important about this passage is the work of God in David's life. That, that's what's important, right? Because if we know when he's saying it or what he's talking about, yeah, that would be nice just to have that knowledge. But there's one thing that we know about God is that he is consistently who he is. He does not change. The Bible says he does not change. So if, if he is what David says he is and what he has been to him in his life, this is who God is. He does not change like anyone else Uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So the passage is about God's work in David's life, and consequently, it's about his work in every believer's life. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at this passage, it accomplishes two things. Number one, it's looking back. It's reflective. It's looking back at, at God's blessings upon David's life. That's very important to do. I, we, as Christians, we should do that. We should, we should pause. No matter what we're going through here and now, we should pause, look back, and, and see how good God has been. Uh, that will give you encouragement. That will give you hope. That will give you strength for what you're dealing with today because you'll remember God has never failed you, has never forsaken you, has never left you. All those things are important. So David is looking back. In fact, David is a, is a professional at looking back because when you look at all the Psalms, that's exactly what he's doing. He's looking back at the grace of God, the goodness of God. So it's doing that, but it also looks to the future. It's not only talking about the the, the past blessings of God in David's life, but it's looking to the future blessings of God in every believer's life. That's what's so awesome about this passage. Uh, This is not only a praise for God's past blessings, but this is also a prophetic utterance of the character of the coming Messiah. You see the the significance of this passage? It's looking backwards and looking forward. It's looking backwards how great God has been to David, but it's looking forward how great God has been to his people or how great God is to his people. Uh, so, so we have this prophetic utterance of the character of Christ. And this passage, it also does something else for us. It causes us to look deeply... Um, within, and and also it causes us to look deeply at our relationship with God. First of all, when we think deeply of God, we think of his faithfulness to us. God is, as I said before, he has never failed us. He is always there for us. And and so when we think of God, that's one thing that should come to mind is his faithfulness. Um, But we also, when we think of ourselves, we need to think deeply about our faithfulness towards God or the lack thereof, because we, we have that, that, that struggle. We have that struggle of, yes, we're called to be faithful to God, but do we do it perfectly? The answer to that is, is no, we don't. When we are faithful to God, God responds in blessings. And again, I, I, it's okay to say that. Remember, these blessings aren't upon your terms. They're upon God's terms. He blesses as he sees fit. But there is one thing that we see in the Bible is that faithfulness... Pleases God. And, 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 and when God is pleased with us, he blesses us. And so, in essence, David is looking back at his life and he's saying, look, there has been, I have been faithful. I have, and I'll explain what he means by when he says that, that I have been faithful. And, and because I have been faithful, God has blessed me tremendously. And that is something that is, is, is a wonderful utterance from David and it could be a wonderful utterance from us. Uh, when we are faithful to God, we are extremely blessed by that. And I got the title from Psalm uh, chapter 1 because it reminded me, what David is talking about here reminded me of that psalm. I want to read that to you before I begin really getting, getting into our passage today. But the, uh, the blessed man is spoken about in Psalm 1, and this is what it says about the blessed man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's verses 1 and 2. Now now listen to the description of, of, of this blessed man. And remember, the blessedness comes from his connection with God. His, his, uh, his chasing after the Lord. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. But listen to verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's what we see in Psalm 1. Beautiful psalm. But it talks about the blessed man, and and, and the blessed man is faithful to the Lord. And because of his faithfulness, he is blessed by the Lord. Well, as we read read these verses 1 through 7, that's the image I get. David is, is, is referring to that. He is he's not questioning God's faithfulness. He's saying God has been completely faithful. And because of God has been completely faithful and I have been faithful to him, uh, I am I am blessed beyond belief. So think about that as we go through this passage. Uh, basically, when you look at this passage, it's a really easy passage to break down. I mean, in structure because it has three major groups. Basically, first, it talks about the messenger, and then it talks about the message from God, and then at the very end, um, it it talks about the actual message. So that's how I broke down this sermon, uh, and I'm going to present it to you today. First, let's talk about the messenger. When you look at verse 1, it contains some important information about the message that is being uttered, right? So it says, first, first thing we see, First, we see that it is labeled as David's last words, right? That's what we see coming out the gate right away. Now, these are the last words of David. Now, it takes some digging into some understanding to, to really get what these words are saying. Um, we, under, we know that these weren't the last words of David because we see more coming up in chapter 24. Uh, and if you also follow the story of David into 1 uh, Kings, there are some more instructions that David gives to Solomon at the very end of his life that are really considered the last words of David, at least those that are that are uh, caught in Scripture, that are documented in Scripture. And so if, if these aren't the last words of David, what is meant by that phrase? Well, what's implied is that this is the last poem of wisdom and insight from David. And, and if, if this is the last Psalm, so to speak, from David, um, a man who has dedicated his life to writing the psalms, I think that's pretty important information, right? It's really important information and, and, and really important information for those who are reading it to, to learn, to, or to to come to comprehend what exactly he is saying. Now, secondly, when we look at the very beginning of these passages, we are shown the reliability of these words, right? So we know it's an important message, but these words are reliable. Why? Well, because it says it's the oracle of David. So these are the last words of David, the oracle of David. Well, if you look at the word oracle, it's translated to an utterance. Usually that term is used for the term of prophecy. So this is an oracle, this is an utterance, this is the last prophecy of David, so to speak. But uh, When we look at David's life, throughout his life, he played the role of prophet, priest, and king, right? We see that at different times. Here, David shows his quality as a prophet. He is, this is a prophetic word uh, from David, from God through David as a vessel to uh, the people of Israel. Now, a prophecy, as we understand it, is an utterance of God through a human vessel, right? Through a human vessel And to deliver an important message to his people. And that's exactly what's happening here. Now that sounds pretty important as well. right? So he is speaking from God to his people so that they can hear the message and word of God. Third, we are shown the importance of these words. Why? Because they don't just come from anyone. They come from the king of Israel. And David emphasizes that in um, in, in the passage here, kind of reminds me of you know we were traveling back uh, last Saturday night, and also traveling up to our destination where we vacation, vac- vacationed at. And one of the things is that when you get in, the, in an airplane, uh, there are a lot of instructions that are given to you. And right before takeoff, the stewardess comes on and have they have the whole safety promotion and everything, all the instructions. And I noticed something is that whenever the, the stewardess was talking, um, maybe just because it's just information or it's just the same thing over and over again, uh, no one really is paying attention, you know, And, and because, you know, they talk about the mask coming down. If, if you're flying over water, put the vest on, all that stuff. Make sure you keep your seatbelt on. They give you all that instruction, but no one, everybody's kind of talking to somebody else. No one's really paying attention. I noticed that, though, when the captain comes on, and tells you about the flight and what's ahead, everybody kind of, you even hear people shushing each other to hear what exactly the captain is saying. And I think about that, and I'm like, I'm looking at David, and, and these words are important because they're coming from the king. If they were coming from somebody else in his court, the people wouldn't put as much attention to them as they would coming from David. And, and so now... We need to look at this and say, hey, this was an important message from David to his people. And in fact, it was from God through David to his people. And so as we look at this, we have to understand that this is an oracle. This is a prophecy. This is the word of God. And it not only speaks to David and his people at that time, it also speaks to us today. And this is what he says. He says, uh, he, as he pronounces this oracle, as he sets it up, uh, it, it reads as a eulogy. Right to establish the importance of the person it speaks of. Uh, It says, the oracle of the man who was raised on high. What does that mean? Well, we have to understand that David was taken from a a lowly shepherd in the fields and he was made king over Israel. And and, and all glory to God for that. And that's why God did that. Uh, he, He replaced Saul. Saul had a different upbringing. David came from nothing, And the Lord made him something. That is awesome. That is the story of all of us in here. We came from nothing. We had nothing. We are nothing without the Lord. And he has made us something. That's a beautiful story of redemption. And that's what the Lord does for his children. But looking at David, he was the youngest of his brothers. But it was him who was anointed as king. He was unimpressive to Samuel. Samuel saw all the brothers pass by, and he had his own in mind of who should be king. But the Lord said, no, none of these fit the description. None of these are the ones that I have called, or is the one that I called. Still, the one is still missing. And so even to Samuel, he was unimpressive. Saul, on the other hand, was very impressive as far as looks. But we know how he led God's people versus how David led God's people. The difference was the spirit of the Lord. But even though he was unimpressive, the Lord chose him over all the men of Israel. That's what it means to be raised on high. David is saying, hey, this is who I am. You're, you're listening to a prophecy of a man who was raised on high by God. Then he continues. He says, the anointed one of the God of Jacob. That's very important. Because what David is saying here is that the same God who anointed one of the patriarchs of Israel who who called Jacob has called me to be king. The same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who, who, who helped them throughout their life. And these Israelites would know exactly what he was talking about here. That's the same God who anointed me. David was chosen, or David wasn't chosen by the people like Saul was. Remember, the people chose Saul because he was taller than everybody else. He was handsome. He seemed to fit the qualities of the king, and the people chose God and said, hey, the people chose Saul and said, hey, we, we want a king for ourselves. Well, that didn't happen with David because God is the one who chose David to be king. And we see the results of of, of that choosing. When we choose for ourselves, it, it leads it, it leads to nothing good. When when God is the one who chooses, it leads to his well being accomplished. Now, he also says that he is the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, David's work speaks for itself. God had given him a wonderful ability to put words to music. Uh, from David we have countless Psalms that we worship to today. Um, not only that, but obviously we gain messages of hope and strength from a bunch of his psalms. Uh, just think of all the ones that are your favorites. I, I Just quickly, I think of Psalm 1, Psalm 18, 19, 23, 34, 119, 139. Like, you go on and on and on uh, of which ones are, are impactful to you. A, a lot of these psalms, whenever we need to, hear from the Lord when we need encouragement, when we need help, we, we go straight to these psalms. And, and those psalms, a lot of them are written by David. Now, I say that this part of the passage reads as a eulogy because it describes who David is as a person. He, he basically is these three things, or he was these three things in the time of this writing. He is the the, the person that the Lord brought from nothing and made him something. He is the anointed king of Israel, and he is anointed by God, and he is the brilliant writer of Psalms. Now, this is a a side note kind of thing here, and usually you you know how side notes go. This is probably what you're going to remember from the sermon, and everything else that I labored and and really struggled for for you to remember, you're not going to remember that. But hey, all glory to God. The side note here is, think about that. Think about a eulogy. Think about a eulogy for yourself. A eulogy describes someone's life in general terms. There's only so much that you can say about somebody. But when we read a eulogy, it's about who they were as a person. Now, let me ask you this. If you were to die today, how would you be eulogized? How do you think you would be remembered? More importantly, because a eulogy is what people say about you, what people think about you. More importantly, what would the Lord say of you today? See, the best thing someone could say of you is that you have loved God and you have sought to obey him. That's the best thing anyone could ever say of you. If, if uh, Sure, everybody has great characteristics, great personal qualities, uh, you know, a lot of wonderful things. Some of you are funny. Some of you think you're funny. Some of you are good looking. Some of you think you're good looking. I could go on and on here. The thing, though, is, is that what people believe about us is one thing. What the Lord knows of us is another thing. Right? So if the Lord were to speak of us, what could be said? The best thing that could be said is that we loved him and sought to obey him. And that's what Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes at the very end. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of mankind. That's what it comes down to. That's what pleases the Lord, to fear him and walk in his ways. That's something that we have to think about because in life, what do we chase? A lot of times we don't chase that. We chase things that are perishable, that are fading away, that we cannot take with us. That really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. All day, every day, no matter what we do, the Lord must be the center of our lives. We must fear him and keep his commandments. And, and I, I think that's a beautiful testimony to David's life here, if that that is being said of him. Now, the big elephant in the room is that we know David was not sinless. We know that. And, and when people eulogize us, it's going to be the same story. They're not going to mention, hopefully they're not going to mention our sin at our funeral. Hopefully they'll mention the good things about us. But you see, our sin is not mentioned at our funeral as far as Christians are concerned because that sin is covered by the blood of Christ. God has dealt with that already. And so for us, there is no condemnation and so there's this, this, this beautiful representation of, of who you are. I ask you, what would God say about you today? Now, that's the, 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 the messenger that we speak of. But what about this message from God? That's the, where the emphasis is placed, that this message is from God. Now, what follows David's introductory text is a message that is so weighty that you can kind of, you can feel the gravitational pull of the message. It just just brings you in. Listen to verses 2 and 3. He says here, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. Wow, that's important. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. So what David is saying is that when when I tell you this, When I speak this, this is the God of Israel's words. This is his exact words. The rock of Israel has said to me. In essence, what David is doing here is delivering a divine message from the eternal king of glory. The Lord speaks to me, he says. In other words, these aren't my words, but the Lord's. His word is on my tongue. In other words, Thus, thus saith the Lord, the rock of Israel has said to me. In other words, these words are trustworthy and true. You ever listen to somebody like you're, you're in a group, certain people talk, and when they talk, you, you listen intently, and you're, you're, you, you know that you can trust the information coming out of that person. There always seems to be one or two people in a group whenever they start telling a story, and no one pays attention because that, that information is not trustworthy and true. It, it, there's, there's a little bit of, 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 I don't want to say lying going on, but exaggeration going on, so to speak. When we hear a word from God, it is trustworthy and true. And that's David's announcement here. He's like, I, I'm the one speaking, but I'm the vessel. What I'm about to tell you is from God. Now, a lot of people today Use that to manipulate people, to to try to trick people. They, They will tell them, hey, I have a word from God. It is directly from God to me, and I'm going to tell it to you. God has spoken in his word for us. He has spoken completely to us through his word. Yes, here David is a prophet. He is fulfilling that office. But there is no, thus saith the Lord, unless we're reading scripture today. And that's something that we all have to realize, that that is the importance of scripture. There is no way that I could stand up here and tell you, thus saith the Lord, and speak what I am speaking from either from my heart or from my head. I can only tell you that as I read scripture to you of what the Lord is telling his people. But listen, this is what's important. As, as, as I look at this and what David is doing, how he's setting this up, and he's, he's, he's showing people the, that this message is from God and that it's trustworthy and true. When we open our Bibles, when we open our Bibles, and we begin to read, remember that gravitational pull, that, that weightiness that I talked about? We should Feel the same gravitational pull every single time. Every single time. If we've lost the reverence for God's word, we need to get that back. We need to repent. Because a lot of times we open up God's word and it's just like, this is something I have to do. I have to do my daily reading. And we're just skimming through it like it's a book written by somebody that we that We know. Somebody who is our equal. And and, and sometimes it's like just an instruction manual for people. It's hard to even get through. When we're approaching our Bibles that way, we're not doing it in faith. Because if we realize what we're reading, there would be reverence. There would be weightiness. There would be this gravitational pull that your creator is speaking to you. This is an important message. These are important instructions. What you are reading is trustworthy and true. That you should, you, you should follow what God is saying. We should obey Him. Every time we open our Bible, it should be that way. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is the importance of Scripture. Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes fail to recognize the power of the words of the Bible. I, I, I fail to recognize that I am reading the words of my Creator. And that when I open the Bible, the Creator is teaching me That he loves me. And he's also teaching me why he is worthy of all my praise and honor. And he is also teaching me how he should be worshipped. That's the gravitational pull of scripture. You see, his word is what should guard us and guide us. His word is what we should be going back to every single day. If we're not in his word daily, if we don't have the reverence that we need for his word, then we fail to recognize the importance of God's word in our life. We've kind of lost our way in a sense. Because a lot of people want to feel their way back to God. but God says, the way to me is through my word. That's how you know me. That's how you'll find me. that's the only way that you're going to have a relationship with me. Right? Because we talk about relationships and knowing God and knowing who he is. That's the only way we're going to have sound theology is that we chase after God through his word. And that his word is what guides us and guards us and directs us in this life. So yes, What David is saying is that this is a message from God. As we read our Bibles, we need to understand, yes, it is a message from God. We need to pay attention to it. It needs to be the most important thing that we read or hear every day. And then the message. And what's so cool about it is that the message is not even very long. Uh, The message is quite short, but it is impactful. This is what the message is. Verses 3 and 4. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes the grass to sprout from the earth. Now, God's message to his people deals with how they are to live their lives, essentially. Um, They are to live justly. In David's case, he ruled justly over Israel. Well, you say, well, wait a second. He he had an adulterous affair. His family was his family relationships were in shambles. Um, How did he rule justly? Well, he ruled justly because he never abandoned the Lord. Of David, it is said that he was a man after God's own heart. If you were to compare him to Saul, there's a big difference because of Saul, it is said that he ruled wickedly, that he did what was right in his own eyes, that he sought his own glory. But of David, we we don't see that. We see that David ruled justly in the general sense. We know that he was not without sin. But even David has already established that in chapter 22. See, the important point here is that he lived his life without turning away from the Lord. He didn't worship other gods. So therefore, it could be said of him that he ruled in the fear of God. Now, obviously, you know that this is going to set up some questions for yourself. Do you live your life justly? I didn't mention perfection because no one here could answer that. In a way that we would be like, yes, I, I, I live my life justly. I mean, are you faithful to the Lord? Do you live in fear of God? Do you seek to be faithful to God over what he has given you to rule? Because God has appointed all of us over something. Have we been faithful to God? Scripture says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. What is all these things? Well, that's Matthew chapter 6. And all these things he's talking about, don't worry. The Lord will provide everything you need for life and godliness. The, The Lord has arranged it so that we don't have to worry about our needs. Our number one priority is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to us. See, in all things, God has called us to be faithful. We are in a covenant relationship with Him. Now, when you talk about a covenant relationship, it's an agreement between at least two parties. We can always count on Him to be faithful. But what about us? That's where the weakness is. We are tossed to and fro by our problems. Right? Amen? We're, we're tossed to and fro. We, sometimes we, are, we have faith and sometimes we lack. Sometimes we feel like we, we have no stable ground. Especially if we're not in God's word. We shrink back in fear when we should be brave. Amen? Come on, let me hear it. Amen, right? We seek to indulge the flesh when we should walk by the Spirit. Amen? Yeah, we could go on and on and on about our failures. Because that's what happens. Even Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, his answer is profound and powerful. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's us too. That is us to the core. See the prophetic sense of this passage is found in that only Christ ruled justly. This is the the pointing forward that I am talking about here. Only Christ fulfilled this perfectly. Perfectly. So the looking back was yes Christ has our the Lord has blessed me. God has been wonderful to me. He has he has done he has been faithful to me. The prophetic utterance is that there will be one who will rule justly and in fear of God. Only one. And he will be called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He will be the savior of God's But for us, well, for us, we should walk after Christ. We should grow in the image of Christ as we live every single day. See, that's why as wretched men, we cannot depend on our own holiness to save us. We all must call upon the name of Christ. We must forget what is behind. We must strain toward what is ahead. We must press on toward the prize in Christ Jesus. We must be strong in the Lord. We must put on the whole armor of God. We must stand against the schemes of the devil. We must put on Christ daily. And after we have done all of that, we must stand firm then. We can never go away from our Lord. We must commit ourselves to him day and night. Even when we sin, that sin cannot separate us from Christ. David speaks of the blessing of God for being faithful. He says that he dawns on them like the morning light. Well, what does that mean? Well, the dawn brings enlightenment, doesn't it? This wonderful imagery about what the morning brings. The night is, is, is dark. We don't know, we can't see very clearly at night. There are certain places where it's like, if it's daytime, I have no problem going that way. If it's nighttime, I am not going to go that way. Because I, I don't know what's over there. But what does the morning bring? Oh, it brings light. Enlightenment. That's what his spirit brings for us. Those who are faithful to him are enlightened by the spirit of God. What are they enlightened to? To do what pleases God. They are enlightened with wisdom and knowledge. They are given insight that others are not. He dawns on them like the morning light. Also, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. That can point to several things, but one thing I look at and it points to that for me is fruitfulness. Like we would have no vegetation without the sun. The sun brings so much fruitfulness. Even to my life. I'm not this dark on accident. Right? The Lord has made me dark, but I spend my time in the sun. I soak it up. It I tell my wife, and she completely disagrees with me, I love summer because when that sun is hitting your skin, you feel alive. I don't like winter because when that cold wind is hitting my bones, I feel dead. <laughs> I'd rather be in the sun. But, but the sun brings fruitfulness. When we are faithful to the Lord, when we commit ourselves to to revering him and obeying his word, there is so much fruitfulness in our life. And David is, David is pointing out to the people of God, you need to be in the Lord. He is a part of everything that you do. He's not only a part of who you are on Sunday, but he is a part of who you are every single day. I know you've heard it said but we need to be reminded remember you, you don't come to church you are the church you don't do ministry your life is ministry I think of who I was without the Lord how unfruitful I was Well, I shouldn't even say that how much bad fruit I had. The Lord is so good to us. Then he says, like the rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. There's one thing that I remember when I came to the Lord, when I came to the saving knowledge of the Lord and when I was 19 years old. I remember falling on my knees, and it was very emotional for me. I, I know there are many people who can't point to the exact time when they were delivered from their sin. I, I, I can. Um, it, it, was, it was a very powerful moment for me. And I, and I thank the Lord that I was able to experience that. I've never been the same since. But there was one thing, there was one thing that I'll never forget about that night. It was almost as a feeling of, of a rebirth. Um, and what I mean by that, of a, of a freshness that came upon my life. A, a, a starting over. I have, I've never felt that before. Since that day. Because I, I have sinned against the Lord. And I have sought repentance. And, and the Lord has restored me. And yet I do not feel the freshness that I felt that day when I came to know him. And when I think about the rain, that it makes the grass sprout from the earth, as much as I love summer, the one thing I don't like about summer here in South Texas is the lack of rain. And so there's one thing that I'm doing with everybody else whenever we go through a heat spell and it hasn't rained and the grass is dying and everything, the, heart is, is, the ground is, is hard, we're praying for rain, and as soon as that rain hits, what happens to everything? Boom, it's just refreshed, including yourself. You smell the rain. You feel the rain. That might be the only time your car is washed, but everything is refreshed, right? When I read this, it, 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 it reminds me of the, the refreshment that the Lord brings to us. Well, we when we are faithful and following him, we're getting a daily dose of that refreshing, that refreshment. We're being washed in his word. Listen, if 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 we're not doing that daily, then we're missing out on a lot. See, David used his own life as an example of God's faithfulness to him. Everything that he had and everything that he was was because of the Lord. Um, Look at verse 5. He says, for does not my house stand so with God? Right? He says, for he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Praise God. Hallelujah. What can we conclude from this passage? Well, for us to gain enlightenment for us to be fruitful for us to be refreshed we must remain at the foot of the cross it's plain and simple we must remain in him we must commit ourselves to his word we must live in fear of him there is a, a, a very dark and stern message for those who don't. Look at verses 6 and 7. But worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of his spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. This passage reminds me of, of, of the... The time where the, the, a lot of time that I spent clearing our land and, and there was a lot of rosebush rose and, and uh, just a bunch of thorny uh, bushes all around. It was so thick because everything was so wild. And I remember having to suit up and put my gloves on, put long sleeves on. And even then, it wasn't enough to protect me because I didn't have enough layers To even to even do that. So my arms were getting scratched up. My legs were getting scratched up my face and all kind of different things. It looks like I had 100 cats in my house or something. But I remember as I was working, there was a a certain level of frustration that came over me whenever I came to one of these thorny bushes. I if I if I if I knew I could grab it, I would grab it. And and there was just uh, just some frustration that I needed to get out. And I would grab the bush and I wouldn't just like pull it out like you would do any normal bush. There was, there was some frustration that I'd get out and I'd pull it and I'd slam it on the ground and I'd step on it. And I'd grab it and I'd throw it on a pile because I knew it was going to be burned. And that's the imagery that I get here because it, it, it looks in verse 6. It says, but worthless men are like the thorns that are thrown away. That's harsh language. When you throw something away, you have no care for it. It's just put aside. It's thrown away. And then he continues on. For they cannot be taken with hand. But the man who touches them, he arms himself with iron and the shaft of the spear. There is no care in handling Man who handles these worthless men, well, he arms himself to destroy them. Think about that as we understand this passage as a word from God. Those wicked men that oppose God, there's going to be no care taken over them. God is going to arm himself, and he is going to utterly destroy them. So, when we look at this, what should our response be? I'm going to close with a reading from his word. This is from James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. And I'm not going to expound on these verses, I'm just going to read them to you. And we'll close in prayer. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud He will exalt you. Let us pray.